0: What's up everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today. It is Wednesday, November 18th, and this is episode 186 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. My name is Rafael Garcia, here with my co-host Schwan Humes, who always finds a way to make noise during the intro. Sir, how are you doing?
1: I guess I'm causing trouble, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) It's the noise at the beginning of the show, which is drawing in all the new fans. They want to see if, I, if I'm going to continue my streak.
0: One of these days, I'm going to get through the intro fine. One of these days. But uh, <laughs> how is your week, man? Are you prepared for Thanksgiving? Do anything with the family? Or are y'all just staying put?
1: I have no idea what's going on. I just, just uh, I haven't really thought about it because it's a job I have. I work for like this life insurance company. So it's like, I don't know if they take off. I don't know how they schedule visits. I, I really don't know how anything goes. My job doesn't. My job pretty much can go over vacations because there's just so much stuff to do. So I have no idea. I'll find out. I'll probably still take my laptop with me and do work even on vacation on Thanksgiving. So it won't matter to me. It should to be at somebody else's house doing work instead of being at my own.
0: Well, in Texas, nothing is really closed anyway, man. Y'all governor talking about there's not going to be any more lockdowns. What the hell is wrong with
1: that? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous here. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, like, even, when, even when the thing first started up, it's like, yeah, everything's closed. I'm like, what are y'all talking about, dude? I see people in the restaurant right now. I went to the park. There was a party. Like, I don't know. I, seen, I mean, they've been playing basketball all summer. They're playing basketball in the school now. I see people all the time. I, I, if, if somebody wouldn't have told me that other places were closed or I, didn't, I wouldn't have seen some businesses slow down, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference because nothing changed. People were still going to restaurants, still 50,000 people in the grocery store, still 50,000 people at the outdoor market. And just, I mean, I went to a restaurant a month ago and it was packed you look in the east coast and other places restaurants are empty this place had like 300 people in it and i was like jesus like what what is this so texas is just texas is just it's like its own country pretty much it just it they just do whatever whatever they want around here
0: whatever the hell they want but we're going to be talking about another uh aspect of an organization doing whatever the hell they want and that is what goes on in the world of MMA, specifically UFC combat sports and boxing as well. So let's go ahead and hop on in and let's talk. Let's start with uh, UFC 255, which is scheduled for this Saturday, where we have a main event. I think this main event needs to be switched to. Shevchenko should have been headlining this show, in my opinion. But uh, Davison Figueredo is fighting Alex Perez for the flyweight title 125 pound title and the women's flyweight title is also up for grabs with Valentina Shevchenko facing off against Jennifer Maya let's start with Maya and Shevchenko first I think this is going to be the easiest one to talk about yeah I think this is going to be the closest thing to a murder that we see in the cage um Maya specifically is more of a grappler and even in that shot that she landed on Joanne Calderwood that opened up her opportunity to get that win there, it was more seen as like a flukish type of shot that that scored the knockdown. She's a grappler first and Shevchenko has, she has some decent chops on the ground but fights start on the feet and on the feet there aren't many women and men for that matter that could probably stand and try to trade with Valentina Shevchenko. How bad is this going to get for the brazilian
1: on saturday well i feel like i really feel like she generally she has the same problem that all the other girls who fight valentina have she's facing a better striker she's facing a better athlete she's facing a better overall mixed martial artist so she's so the gap between her and everybody else is just in striking technique alone it's humongous and then you added the athleticism and the physical strength and the fact she's fight at 135 it just gives her a lot of advantages They basically have her playing like with a, it's like being in a football team and having the other, and spotting the other team like 21 points. It's really hard to overcome that. Um, I feel like Maya has some avenues. I don't know that she can necessarily execute them, but Maya is big. She's strong. She's physical. She's not the biggest hitter, but she's a harder hitter than Jessica I. She's a harder hitter than Caitlin Chukagan. She's physically stronger than Jessica I. She's physically stronger than Caitlin Chukagan. And she's more durable than both of them. Um, and I think that, that that should allow her some, some opportunities. Um, my biggest thing is to get to beat Valentina, to have a chance to beat Valentina, and this was true at B- Bantamweight and it's still true at this weight class, you have to be willing to, ke- to, take, to walk through some fire to get to her. You're not going to out feign her. You're not going to position her. You're not going to trick her with any of the little jab high, go low, all of You're You're not going to be able to do that. What you have to do is accept the fact is you're going to take a certain amount of punishment, be able to take that punishment and force a pace and get to her. You can't just, even if you're confusing her a little bit, you can't settle for confusing her. You have to be doing active damage, and that's the problem with everybody who fights her. They're trying to get clean entries for takedowns. They're trying to get clean entries for shots. They're, they're trying to avoid what's coming back in them, and you want to avoid the big shots, but you can't avoid everything because if you're going to make it a game of tag where it's going to be who can, who, who can read who's faint. Who can get into whose spots better? She's gonna beat you at that every time. You have to be willing to take a certain amount of punishment to get work done to her. It's essentially what Kelvin Gastelum did to Israel Adesanya. He took a hellacious beating so that he could put a beating on Israel Adesanya. That was the trade-off. He had to take chances to have any success, to have to have any success or any chance of winning the fight. People who've been trying to get around that end up getting knocked out quick, and it's the same thing with Valentina. Having just guy, I, I was trying to figure out some kind of sneaky way to get to the ground, some kind of way to avoid the firepower, didn't work. Ch- Kayla Jukic is trying to get in and out, trying to keep the fight at distance and use mobility, didn't work. Car- Liz Carmouche didn't want to engage at all and just had one of the most, you know, boring fights in the history of the UFC. You have to be willing to take some shots. And in, in that regard, I feel Jen- Jennifer Maya has enough boxing ability and enough size. That if she can walk through some fire she can land on she can land she can land to uh, on valentina valentina has been hit by lesser strikers it's just you you take a beating on the way in you take a beating on the way out but if you want to have any chance to initiate exchanges you have to punch with her in exchanges and you have to be willing to take a beating to get your shots off when you have an opportunity to get your shot you have to make them count it can't be probing it can't be let, let me find an angle it's got to be i'm hitting her wherever i can hit her i'm teeing off i'm I'm unloading with everything I have to get her into the positions I want her in. So I think, in theory, Maya has some avenues to victory. But if you look on paper and you look at how they performed against other opponents, it, it shouldn't be close. Maya's not strong enough. She's not explosive enough. She doesn't hit hard enough, and she's not a good enough athlete. But she is a far superior grappler. And the one thing you have to remember is Valentina's been controlling girls and really out wrestling them. Maya has shown the ability to submit a bigger, stronger opponent who took her down. It was trying to get control and set up a ground and pound in and jo- and JoJo Calderwood. She was able to, to defend, uh, uh, snag an arm, and then reverse position to get to a finish. So from top position, she does have the skills to attack from neutral positions or attack from inferior positions, which is something that Valentina hasn't really seen from anybody. And any, and any of the people she's fought, they, none of them had a, a, a game plan off their back. So I think, I think Maya, you, you mix in the size, you mix in the boxing – Mixing makes an overall grappling. There are avenues for her to get win those fights. She's just going to have to walk through hell to get to it. And I don't, know that she can, I don't know that she can handle the heat. She can handle it. We have a fight on her hands. If she can't, it's going to be a pretty one-sided beating. And it'll probably go a little bit longer because I think she's a little bit more durable and physical than
2: the eye. So let me ask this. How close are we to seeing a TJ Dillashaw-esque upset?
1: Well, the thing the thing with Dillashaw is when Dillashaw got upset, he was going to a different weight class. He he, he was going to he he gave up his physical advantages. In this case, Valentina doesn't isn't giving up her physical advantages. She's in fact they're in hand. It been a weight, she was undersized. At this weight, she's a perfect size, if not bigger. If she moved down to, what, fly weight? No, straw weight. If she moved down to straw weight, then it would be, it'd be something similar. And, and once again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but Valentina, Valentina's coming off an injury, so maybe she's not sharp. Maybe she gets injured in the fight again. That's a possibility. Um, we've seen her kind of muscled and, and, and physically moved around by bigger, stronger opponents, but I don't know that Jennifer Maia is that much bigger and that much stronger. And once again, um, you know, we've seen her take shots. She took flush shots from Amanda Nunes. She's been hit before. She, she just actually has a legitimate skill set to roll which punches, or she can just outright take them. So you don't see as clear an uh, avenue to defeating her because the one aspect you have over her, which would be groundwork, it's really hard to take her down, even if your wrestling skills are better. She's such a good athlete. She's so much faster. She's so much physically stronger that it's hard to get her get into the positions you need to take her down. And even if you get in those positions, she can physically just throw you off. Like just using horsepower can wrench you off her legs, twist you around, pin you down yourself. So the only, the only technical advantage Maya has is to finish with a submission. And I, and I think that's a loose possibility, but Maya hasn't consistently shown that sort of precision and that sort of dynamic, dy, dyna, dyna, excuse me, dynamic submission threat off of her back against elite uh, elite opposition she did it against jojo calderwood which is impressive jojo calderwood's a person who gets by on size and physicality herself she's not particularly quick she's not particularly explosive and she kind of she has lapses in her fights where she doesn't do the right things valentina so far has hasn't shown any lapses the biggest opportunity that maya's going to have is that maybe she's not sharp because she came off an injury, maybe she's not 100% confident in her body because she's coming off an injury. And if she's hesitant or she's doubtful, then Maya can use that and maybe build some confidence, build some momentum. But if Valentina is Ch- 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 on point 100%, it feels like she can go and there's no injury and there's nothing holding her back. It's going to be really hard for Maya to get to the spot she needs to, to even attempt takedowns, or get to the spot she needs to to land shots without having to walk through a, basically in a – uh, a hell of gunfire. I mean, that's what's going to be coming at her. So if Maya can take the punishment and force a pace, and she's and she can handle the punishment and and she's willing to fire back with Valentina, she can land, she can back her up, she she can extend her, she can have some moments. But that's only if she's willing to take the abuse and only if she's able to take the abuse. Those two things have to happen. If those two things don't happen, there's there's literally no way she can win. You don't have to be as skilled as the person, but when you lack the skill. You have to make up for it in physicality, pace, and will. I don't know that Maya is able to throw enough volume to keep the pace. I don't know that she's willing to really walk through a lot of punishment to land her shots, and I don't know that she's capable of walking through the punishment she's going to be facing to get to where she needs to get against Valentina. It's a lot of ifs. If she can do that, if she can do that. With Valentina, it's all guarantees.
0: Wow. So you're giving her more of a chance than most people are Swan. You said more good things about Maya's game than any other breakdown I've heard. Most people are just blowing through this match expecting Maya to get highlight reeled like uh, Jessica I did. I mean there's
1: a good chance she does but she but Maya's better better than Jessica Guy. Jessica I wasn't wasn't gonna beat Jojo Calderwood. Jessica I doesn't have the physicality. She doesn't hit hard enough. Um, she she's not phys- she's not good enough off her back. And same thing with Chu Kagan. If you watch Valentina's fight, she's beating people up on the feet. But when they get a little hesitant or when she when she's not getting the shots she wants, she takes them down and hammers them. That's what she knocked out Jessica I, clearly. But when she fought Cachuera, she had her in a crucifix, was beating her up. When she had uh Kagan, I think she had a crucifix in a moment, was beating her up. When she fought um Karmush, I think she swept her and took her down a couple times. When she fought Holly Holmes, she swept her and took her down a couple times. When she fought Amanda Nuna, she swept her and took her down a couple times. So she's going to get to that position, and Maya actually has, maybe she doesn't have the applicable applicable skills at the world-class level, but we've seen Maya work off her back and get to her feet. We've seen Maya submit a top ranked opponent from her, to get from locking the submission, get a reversal, and finish a top ranked opponent from her back. You haven't seen that from JoJo. You haven't seen that from Jessica guy You haven't seen that from Drew Kagan. You haven't seen that from Carmouche. You haven't seen that from Amanda Nunes. You haven't seen that from Holly Holm. This will be the first time that that Valentina's facing somebody who's capable, not saying she will, but at least has the skill set and the experience and has shown that she can finish someone off her back. Does that mean she will? No. But we've seen it before. I haven't seen it with any of those other fighters I've mentioned. Never seen it. They're not in top position. They're basically just getting beat up. Maya has shown that she can submit a bigger, stronger, experienced, world-class opponent. She did it in her last fight. So for me to say that Valentina's just going to have her way with her on the ground— I can't say that. Should she? Yeah, she's big, strong, and physical. But the gap between Valentina on the feet and Maya on the feet is is about as wide as the gap is between Maya on the ground and Valentina. Valentina just has Valentina just has the athleticism to kind of make up for it. And Valentina beats you to hell on the feet. So by the time you get to the ground, you don't have a lot for. Her. But the skill set between the gap between those two on the ground is about the same as the gap between them on the feet. The, the question is once again. Will Maya walk through fire? Can she handle the fire she's walking through? Can she do something on the feet to create at openings for the takedown? And if she, if she can do all those things, she can have an opportunity to get a top position in search for submission. Or if she's taken down, if she, doesn't ta- if she can handle the abuse, she should have moments where she can look for a submission of her own.
2: How, how, how many rounds do you see fight going I don't know. I, I, I guess worst worst case scenario.
1: I think I could see it ending inside a three. Best case scenario, I think it might actually go to decision if Maya plays this right. You just you just have to play it right. You have to play it right. You have to take some risks. And if she makes Valentina lead a little bit, like if I was her, I would I would make Valentina lead. Valentina is great on the counter. Valentina is great when you pressure. But if you make her lead, even though Liz Carmuse embarrassed herself in her gym. Yeah, I know. She made it difficult. Oh, she didn't fight me. Okay, great. She, she didn't do her job. She's an entertainer, and she, can't, she fights to win. She didn't fight to win. She didn't entertain. She failed on both fronts. I don't care what Liz Carmouche says. She failed on both fronts of her job. But Liz Carmouche showed that if you do not give Valentina what she wants, which is pressure or strikes to read, Valentina, while still effective, isn't as effective. While clearly better than you, she goes from being devastating to just clearly better than you. So if Maya can show some restraint and not bite off things and not fire right back at every time and kind of give give Valentina some room where Valentina's gonna have to come in and Valentina's gonna have to put shots together, she might be able to find some success. Let Valentina lead. Faint, make Valentina show you her hand and then punish her, because Valentina isn't very good at leading. If she was good at leading, she would have walked Liz Carmouche down and blown her through. And people can say Liz ran, Liz ran, Liz wasn't running that much. She just refused to engage. And if Valentina was a better front foot offensive fighter, she still would have chopped her down and finished her. We've seen guys be afraid to engage before and get knocked out. We've seen guys be afraid to engage and get beat all up. That didn't happen to Carmouche because Valentina is not comfortable putting shots together on the lead, pressing you, walking you down, cutting you off, and breaking you down. She's not comfortable doing that. And whenever she's been forced to do that, she has not been spectacular. Amanda Nunes got by on low volume because she didn't want to give Valentina anything to counter. If Maya can follow suit and show that discipline and minimize her output and pick her spots to really open up, she can do some damage. She's going to have to attack the leg. She's going to have to attack the body. Going to the head is just going to get her killed, but she's going to have to attack the head, attack the body, lower her volume, and she's going to have to switch her range. She, she can't do that the whole fight. Valentina will figure that out, but she's got to mix it up. She's going to have to be able to walk through some fire in some spots. She's going to have to be, be able to show some discipline and make Valentina come to her in some spots. Nobody's really made her do that. Liz Carmouche kind of did, but Liz Carmouche didn't do anything. She just sat there and waited. Even when Valentina gave her something, she didn't fire back. Once again, when she took the shot, she got scared off. You have to be willing to take the shot and fire back. You have to be able to handle the shot and fire back. So I, I think there's ways of, for Jennifer Meyer to win this if she has a good camp, if she listens to them. Most people don't, don't think she can win, and they're saying what they're saying because they're looking at this as, I'm an analyst. I'm a fan of the fighters. I can't see a way to win. I'm looking at this as someone who's coach fighters. My job is to find avenues to win. That's why I have an avenue for everybody, and everybody else has an avenue for nobody because they're looking at it for, on paper. It's my job to find an avenue. So I see avenues for. It just depends on her intangibles and her will. If she has the will and intangibles, she can do what she can do with um she can essentially do what what um, Kelvin Gastelum did, and then see if see if Valentina's chin and her will holds up. But it takes a special kind of will. It takes a special kind of poise, it takes a special kind of durability, and you have to risk the fact that you may be ruined as a fighter after that fight. Because we've seen what Kelvin looked like after, after uh, Israel. He ain't look good. He looked awful in his last two fights. So if you take this on and you choose to take this route, you're essentially saying you might be ending your time as a world-class fighter. But it, if that's what it takes to have a chance to win, which is what you want, then
2: you have to, you have to measure that out here to make those, you have to, you have to take those chances. True, true. And um, I like what you said about taking some chances because it's also going to be a big chance taken in the main
0: event where Figueredo defends his belt against Perez. Perez has a chance to be, um, to etch his space out in the history books as well, because he's the first fighter from the Dana White contender series to fight for a title in the UFC, stepping in. Only notice now that uh, Cody Garbrandt was unable to take this fight. What do you think about his chances here? Um, he's twenty-four and five, I think, or twenty-five and four. One of the two coming into this contest. Do you think he has a, a clear opportunity of winning this bout?
1: Um, I, I think so. I think, I think. Uh, how do you say his name? division? Figueiredo. Um, a lot of his success comes from his physicality. He imposes himself on you physically. He, he, throws, he, he throws with intent to knock you out. He throws with intent to hurt you. And I know everybody says it's a fight. They all throw intent to hurt you. That's not true. Some guys have a mean streak. Some guys are throwing to really put punishment on you. Some guys are switching up the power and the, 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 the angle and the timing on their shots so they can create openings. They're throwing away this jab so they can get the right hand. Figueredo throws everything fairly hard. He's trying to hurt you with every shot. Now, he still might be trying to, to create an opening. But if the opening's not there, he's gonna use that. If if you don't bite on the, if you don't create the opening, he's gonna use that shot to do damage. And a lot of his success is his punching power, his aggression, and his physicality. Because most guys haven't been able to hurt him enough to back him up. And if you're a guy and you're going forward, and a guy can't hurt you, unless that guy is a super, super, super defensive fighter, it's gonna be really hard for him to get away from you. Be really hard for him to handle your pace because he doesn't have anything to slow you down. He doesn't have anything to make you think twice. So Perez can't hurt him and hurt him early. I don't know that Perez can win this fight because once Figueiredo gets momentum going, it's very hard to get him off. And while Alex Perez is very athletic, he hits hard, he, he seems to scramble well, he seems to be fairly dynamic in what he does. The fact of the matter is he doesn't have a lot of seasoning. He doesn't have like a lot of the, I've been in the toughest spots. I've been controlled. I've been... I've been physically dominated. I know how to handle this and work my way out. He's been in tough fights. He's been in competitive fights, but he hasn't been in a fight with a guy who could physically dominate him. He hasn't been in a fight with a guy who every time, he every shot he throws could be the ending shot. He hasn't, have, he hasn't been in a fight with a guy who, yeah, has the technique to submit you, but also has like just huge, incredible physical strength that he could use to reinforce that technique. And that's always my concern. When you're a guy who's used to be able to scramble out of positions, when you're a guy who's used to being able to, athlete himself in and out of exchanges or get by on some aggression, what happens when your athleticism isn't enough? What happens when you, you physically explode to push somebody and they push back? You get your hands on them to kind of control them and then they can take control of you. Now the same could be said at Figueredo, but I haven't seen anybody bully him yet. And I haven't seen even experienced guys, even though Joe B was past his prime and did, wasn't as sharp, he still had enough experience to go on two, three, four fight win streaks across the division. But against this guy, he couldn't do anything with him. So that should tell you something. You can say, oh, Joe was faded. How many wins did he have before he got to Figueredo? Three, four, five? Five of his last six, six of his last seven, six of his last eight? He was beating everybody else from three to, to 12 in the division. So even if he was faded, he still was finding ways to win against the upper crust of the division. When he first faced Figueredo, he couldn't do a damn thing. Couldn't keep him off him, couldn't slow him down, couldn't, couldn't escape bad positions couldn't back him up, couldn't get away from his volume, couldn't handle his power, couldn't do anything. And regardless of how much you think he's faded, the fact of the matter, at that point, he was still one of the top three best fighters in the division, and he couldn't do a damn thing with Figueredo. So while Alex Perez is more, he's fresher, he's more durable, he's probably got a better pace, he's more explosive, he doesn't have that veteran poise, he doesn't have that veteran craft, he doesn't know all the tricks, he doesn't know how to slow down a fight, he doesn't know how to ride, ride out through the rough spots when you're being dominated. He's never been in those positions before. And if Figueredo puts him into him, I don't know what's going to happen with him. And like I said, you could say the same thing for Figueredo, but I haven't seen anybody really put their hands on him and really just have their way with him. I've seen people outskill him. I've seen people out hustle him, but I've never really seen somebody just physically impose themselves on him. And after winning the championship, I feel like his confidence and his focus is just at another level. You know, I think he's really, he's really locked in. And if he's really locked in, you can't just bet that you can out-hustle him or that you, he's going to lose focus and give you something. You have to expect him to want to hold on to that belt and to really give you a focused, consistent, ever-momentum-building kind of fight, and I think that's what we're going to see. It'll be competitive. It, it, it should be competitive for as long as it lasts, but I really have concerns about what happens when these exchanges get a little bit longer, when the scrambles start to slow down a little bit, and when it becomes more of a grind. Can Perez win that fight? I don't, I don't think he can win that kind of fight. I'm not saying he can't. I just don't think he can.
2: So,
0: in, in Figueredo, are we looking at someone that's going to be a dominant champion? Because I have some concerns still over his weight cutting issues and I have some concerns over some other things I've seen about him just as a fighter. Is, is he, in pro wrestling, there's a phrase called transitional champion, where a guy is basically holding a belt until someone else a more long-term champion comes along and claims it. Are we looking at that with Figueroa, or is he in a position that he can be a long-term champion at 125?
1: Well, I've got concerns with the weight, too. I, I think a large part of his success is his physical attributes. I think against a comfortably-sized fighter who really is a physical fighter, I think he, I think he has problems. He, his defense, to me, striking isn't great. His defense is his chin and his aggression. That, when, I, when he was going to fight Cody, I picked Cody to win. Everybody's like, well, Cody's chinny, Cody's suspect. The fact of the matter is Figueroa is not used to that kind of speed. He's not used to that kind of that kind of aggression offensively. He's not used to get that kind of explosion offensively. And for a guy who leaned heavily on his physicality, heavily on his aggression to create openings for counters or leave, and heavily on his chin, uh, and given how dangerous Cody Garbrandt can be in the first round and a half, I didn't see a way this fight got past it. I don't know that Alex Perez has that kind of speed. I don't know that Alex Perez has that kind of physical strength. I don't know that he has that kind of power. Figueredo is there to be beat. He, yeah, he's got skills. Yeah, he's made some improvement, but he still relies heavily on that size and that physicality. And that's where, that's where the idea of him being transitional is because you don't see that he's really spectacularly skilled in any area. You, I can even say he's the greatest physical athlete. He's a, he's a good to very good athlete who's got a huge advantage in physical strength. And if you're a pretty good athlete but you're, you're a size and a half or two sizes bigger than someone, you don't have to be as quick. You don't have to be as explosive because physically they can't control you. They physically cannot hold you down. They physically cannot move you from the spots you don't want to be in. When they hit you, if you if he, he could probably compete in a higher weight class. So getting hit by a guy who's at the weight class he's supposed to be, when you could be a, a fairly large size fighter at another weight class, it gives you an extra cushion. I, in a sense, he's like a better Jessica Andrade. But he's got such physical tools and, and, and as far as his durability, his strength, and his size that allows him to navigate a lot of mistakes, it allows him to take chances, it allows him to get kind of lazy on his defense because he knows he can eat your shot. And if he knows he can eat your shot, that means he can punch with you and land counter, a counter that maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to land because somebody else isn't willing to eat that shot. Or he's able to walk you down because he's able to take a certain amount of punishment. He can let you unload on him and then come on late in the round and crush you. You know, it, it's a trade-off. And so from that regard, I don't, I don't know that he's a long-term champion just because I, I feel that so much of his success is based on those, that physicality and that size and that strength. And if somebody can navigate that, I, I think that there's, a lot of, there's many spots you can get to him at. There's many spots you can, you can get to him. There's many spots you can out-position him. There's many spots you can out-hustle him. But once again, you're going to have to take a certain amount of punishment you're going to have to deal with a certain kind of grinding pace and physicality A lot of fighters not only can't do that, they won't. They refuse to. They refuse to fight the fight that it needs to win. They'll rather make it a close fight, doing what they're comfortable with, than make it a possibly winning fight by doing what it takes. And he's the kind of guy who's going to make you, who's going to find out how badly you want it, because he's going to test you in those key spots. But as far as actual skill set, I I think there's lots of there. I think there's 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 room there's there's spots where you can get him. And I don't know that I consider him a long term champion. One because of the weight. I don't know how long he can make this way class. I don't think he can make it for another year or two. I, I personally don't. And two, he's so dependent on that physical advantage. Once it's gone and you face the right guy who, who can eliminate that, I think a lot of his game falls apart. I think it's all predicated on him being able to physically impose his will. And the minute he can't physically impose his will is the minute, you,
2: minute he gets finished. Do you see this fight going all five rounds? I don't
1: think so. Um, I I don't think it. I don't think it should. I don't. I don't think the pacing will work for. I think. I think Perez is going to have to either overwhelm him or catch him in some kind of scramble and finish him. I don't know how likely that is. The later the fight goes, I don't know that that explosiveness will be there. And quite frankly, I don't know that Figueroa can manage for five hard rounds. He's been so. He's been so able to impose his will and impose positions. If by some chance he can impose his will, if by some chance he can control those positions. I don't know that he can win a hard five rounds. I know he can win a hard one through three, possibly. I don't know that he can win a hard three one through five. I, I haven't seen that from them. And on the opposite end, I don't know that, that Perez, if he's able to out-hustle him and, and use his athleticism,
2: I don't know that Perez can maintain that for five rounds when he's going to have to deal with that kind of physicality. Good, good, sir. So, um, I think this is an interesting fight. Like I said, I still think that it should be the co-main. It should be
0: the co-main event, not the main. But you know how that that shit goes. This is WWE, or this is UFC, and they're always going to put them in on top. If you're not well, to, to
1: there. be to be fair, this this goes against your theory that Valentina is being pushed as the Great White height because if that was the case, she should she should be headlining. I mean, she is the more popular fighter. I don't I don't know if anybody yeah, really a good knows point. this year. So, I mean,
0: That is a good point. That is a good point. That is a good point. I'm not going to argue you there, sir. We also have a fight that, in my opinion, I don't think it should be happening. We have Tim Means fighting against Mike Perry, and I don't think this fight should be going on just because Perry is – he is not stable, in my opinion. And yeah. I always say this about him. And I tweeted it again today after listening to what he had to say when he was asked about the accusations of um, assault from his ex-wife where he had the most ridiculous answer to that and Mike Perry, he's either going to kill someone or he's going to get himself killed in a situation and everyone's going to just look at, the, look at it when it happens and they're just going to shrug and look the other way because that's what MMA does. We saw this shit with War Machine a long time ago. A long time ago. And look how that turned out.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's already been concerning. I've, even before all this stuff came out, I had my concerns about Mike Perry because I felt the UFC had a chance. To, it's something similar to what they did with the Korean Wonder Boy or Superboy or whatever. He had a point. He was a fresh, physical, athletic, explosive, powerful guy who was rough around the edges, but who was constantly improving and moving in the right direction as a fighter. And you saw that he had the potential to possibly maybe not be a world champion, but be a high contender, maybe get into a position of being a contender. But they kept putting him in tough fight after tough fight after tough fight after tough fight. And you started seeing his limitations exposed. And as his limitations got exposed, you started seeing him take extended beatings, which were essentially beating the world class out of him. The guy you saw three years ago, as far as the explosiveness and the agility and the speed and the aggression, doesn't exist. He, he shows that in spots, but a lot of that's just been, I mean, like I said, it's been beaten out of him. He, he doesn't have it. It's from the physical grind of training, whatever kind of lifestyle he has outside the cage, and then you add on top of that the abuse he's facing from facing a who's who of knockout punchers, volume punchers, and high-level strikers. He's just taking tremendous amounts of abuse, and I think all of it is caught up to when The UFC hasn't done him any favors by giving him any soft touches that allow him to enact new game plans, work new skill sets, and develop uh, a system that not just allows him to win, but allows him to win by minimizing some of the damage he took. And I don't know if he's maybe just always been a misogynist. Maybe he always hates women. Maybe he's just always been this kind of person. But I don't know that constant brain trauma and taking the kind of shots he has, I don't know that that doesn't make it worse. Uh, So from that regard, I feel the UFC did him a disservice. And he's at the tail end of his career. I mean, You put him in against guys who aren't world class, he could probably win fights. Still, but against guys who are the lead of the division or at least elite athletes, he's vulnerable against them. Um, so from, from that personal aspect, I think his health is at risk any time he fights because he's been compromised. As far as the person, I can't... I mean, he's been saying terrible things for a while, the, the N-word thing, uh, just how he talks about certain people, and now you hear about how he's talking about his ex-wife and, and what he feels about this, and then you find that some of the stuff about the girl he's currently dating, and it just makes you wonder, you know... I have to assume he's been like this the majority of his career, you know, on some level, because his ex-wife makes it seem like he's always been this kind of person, which makes you wonder how these camps and how these coaches had him in there. Is it so important to have a fighter in the UFC and to get money that you're willing to tolerate a guy who seemingly, I I can't know for sure, but just based on what I've seen, seemingly has no respect for other races, has no respect for what's right or what's wrong, and has no respect for women? Like, I know you might make a lot of money to have him in your camp or coach him to get a name, but if these things are true, how are, you, how are you letting him be associated with your camp? How is that not a problem with you? I can even say if you want to say, I want to hear both sides, but if that's the case, you're going to have him representing your camp. How are you not researching and looking at both sides? Because if he's really done the things he said he, she said he's done to her, and I'm not saying he hasn't, I'm just saying if, because I don't know, then that's the kind of stuff that other people know about. You know, I've had, I've had friends who beat their husbands or beat their wives or boyfriends or, or girlfriends, people knew about it. Maybe people at their work didn't know, but people who were around them knew. You know, I knew about it. I wasn't cool with it, but the person ain't going to leave. I can't do anything about it. I can't call the cops the person who's going to make a stand. But I knew it was going on, which makes me wonder, do some of these camps know what's going on? Have, he said he has some of his closest friends in camp. Do they know? Are they aware of this? And if they are, how are they okay with it? How are they not going to say anything? Is it just not their business? Is it because it's not my daughter or my sister or my friend I don't care? I don't know. So it's a, it's a much bigger issue than just the MMA circles. It's an issue as far as human beings because, you know, like I said, I didn't associate. Once I found out people were doing this, I didn't associate with them, but I couldn't do anything past a certain point because the other person didn't want to leave. But if somebody would ask me or if I was asked to speak out, I would speak out. If somebody asked me if this is true or not, I would say something. But, you know, as usual, people's uh, respect for women is, very conditional, how close she is to you, what she can do for you, her rank and position, or whether you're in a relationship with her or not. And if she's not, then instantly she's a liar, she's a fraud, she's trying to get some of that MMA money, which we all know ain't shit, or she's trying to get some of that MMA fame, which, no offense, nobody outside of MMA knows who the hell Mike Perry is. So it's just a lot of things. UFC, of course, is just going to say this isn't our, this isn't our guy, where he's an independent contractor, we have no control, these claims were all, sub, you know, into, more, more substantiated, and uh, they're just going to keep a, you know, they're just going to use him up, they're going to use him up, and then once he, his usefulness is ended, he's going to end up some small organization, he's going to start really going off the rails if he doesn't get help, and it's just, like you said, it's going to end badly. Um, talk about the fight, Tim Means is a tough opponent, he's coached by our our good friend from uh, NHB Fit, and um, Means is a better athlete. At this point, he's better conditioned. He's got better skill set. He's much better on the feet. I think he's got a better corner. Obviously, he's got a better corner. The question is, does he come back from his injury, and can he handle the power of Mike Perry? If he can, fight a clean fight and not make any mistakes defensively. He beats him, and he beats him cleanly. But, Tim, he means fighting style forces engagements, forces firefights, which means he's going to take a certain amount of punishment. And even now, with this faded position, Mike Perry is still a tremendous puncher. He's still a physical force in guards to getting takedowns, ground and pounding, and landing And occasionally being shot. So the, for the fight, his directive is very dangerous. But I think Arlene should have Tim Means on point. And if Tim just fights a clean fight and doesn't let Perry get any momentum, he should win a clean decision, possibly a stoppage. I didn't like how Mike Perry looked on the feet against Mickey Gall. He, he didn't really look good, to be honest. And uh, Means is a much better fighter on the feet than Mickey Gall. But this fight has a shit show all over it. And it, it just could re- this, could, this could be a highlighted moment. Eventually, when he goes off the rails and people say, this was the point where he really, really lost it. He really went off the rails. And of course, the UFC won't get any blame for it. They're just like, we're just here to make fights. I don't see how they dodge all this responsibility. But somehow, the UFC has become Teflon with hiring domestic abusers, allegedly,
2: and hiring um, closet or obvious racists, allegedly. There's so many questions I have around this fight to the point where I don't even care about seeing
0: the action go down. I think Perry needs to be, he needs to be removed from the active roster for an extended period of time. Um,
1: okay. He might be removed if he gets cut if he loses. He might really be removed.
0: I mean, yeah, you're right. You're you're right. If he was to lose, I think I, I could see them cutting, cutting their uh, ties with him and and sending him on his way. Tim Means, though, we haven't seen much of this guy in a while. Is this a good fight for him stylistically?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you saw you saw you saw Mike Perry. Mike Perry's not training at a gym, and he's got his girlfriend again. He beat Mickey Gall because Mickey Mickey Gall is a very physically limited fighter. And Mickey Gall is a terrible striker. He's a decent grappler with decent wrestling. That's fine against CM Punk and, other, and Mike, Michael Jackson and, and these lower-level athletes, but against a big, strong guy who's still athletic and explosive and hits hard, that's not going to cut it. Mickey Gall landed some strikes on the feet, couldn't do any real damage, but when Mike Perry wanted to take it to the ground, he took him to the ground left and right, and Mickey Gall is a pretty good grappler, but when you're grappling with a guy who's three times stronger than you and four times more explosive than you, it's re- really hard to find submissions. It's really hard to reverse positions. It's really hard to get to the spot you want to get when you have stress. Um, I know Tim Means had some injuries. I think he got injured in a fight. I want to say maybe it might have been his last fight. And Tim Means at his best is a volume, technical volume fighter. He throws a lot of volume. He throws a lot of techniques. And he uses his pace, his physicality, and the range of techniques to kind of break you down or overwhelm you and fight at a pace where he either overwhelms you or you start breaking down and slowing down. And that's when he pulls away late in the fight. Like I said, he should have every aspect, every advantage over Perry, except maybe wrestling. The thing is, Tim Means gets hit. Tim Means gets hit a lot. The way he fights, he guarantees he's going he's gonna to take big shots. I don't know, even at this stage, with Perry being sloppier and not as – and he's never been really a subtle, layered striker, he's still a big hitter. He still takes a pretty decent shot. So if Means gets too greedy or if Means gets – too aggressive and trying, to, trying to overwhelm him or in trying to pull away late, he might open himself up for a big shot, a big takedown, a big slam that could re-injure him, or put him in a position where he's on defensive, taking, taking big shots from a guy as Perry, who's still, who's, who's still a good finisher, who, who's never really faced an opponent he's hit, who he hasn't gotten their respect from. So the style and the approach that Tim Means has guarantees, and if Tim Means is a good enough fighter, he can be technical but he kind of likes to engage in a certain kind of fight, and uh, he won't run away from it. So um, I expect him means to win fairly clearly, but it's going to be an on-your-edge thing because if he gets too greedy or Mike Perry has a flashback to his prime and lands you know, one big shot or uh, short. Sorry, I lost my mics. If Mike Perry lands a big shot or or a good combination, I could turn the fight just like that, and I still don't know how good... Mean it, how well Tim Means mean has recovered from his injury. Is he 100%? Is he going to re-injure himself? Can he maintain the pace? Can he maintain the volume? Can he, ma- can he, can he make that trade-off of, I'm going to land five to every one you land? Can he handle the one he gets hit back with? I don't know. Those are a bunch of ifs. But if everything's 100%, I fully expect Tim Mean to win this fight fairly convincingly. He, he's going to have some rough spots regardless. But given the fact that Mike Perry is not going to have a good corner, not going to have a really good corner, he can't possibly have gotten better technically. He's kind of plateaued like the last three or four years. And even though he's still an athlete, every year that goes by, he loses a little bit more of that athleticism, that explosiveness. I, I would say 10 means should be a lock to win this fight. But like, as I stated, I have some other concerns in regards to that.
0: Okay. What else on this card Saturday stands out to you? Um,
1: they're having Chukagian, uh Calvillo, right? Yes, they are. Uh, I'm just interested in that fight to see what happens next because, um, Calvillo had a pretty big win and it made her in talks to possibly fight, uh, miss, um, to fight, uh, excuse me, fight, uh, Valentina next just because, you know, she has such a big win beating a former title challenger. And if she beats, um, Chukagan, even though she's by Andrade, that would be two, uh, that would be two former cha- title challengers that she would have beaten in a row. So it, it, create, it creates an opportunity for her to possibly be in title talks um, next to Lauren Murphy and possibly, who else would be up? I guess Lauren Murphy, given her win streak, would be the closest, closest thing, Lauren Murphy or Jessica Andrade. So then if she beats one of them, I don't think she'd get the title fight, but I think she'd be able to... Well, she could possibly get it because she'd be two high-ranking people in a row. Andrade would only be one. But worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, she best gets the title fight. Worst-case scenario, she uh, gets to... Uh, Fight either a or fight Murphy for the chance to be a number one contender. Um, I don't know how much of a threat this is because Chukagan seems to not be 100% focused. I mean, she's already talked about retiring, and um, she's, she's, never, she's an active busy striker. She's not a really accurate or powerful one. And she seems to have gotten into this mode where she's going to try and grapple a little bit more. I don't know that that works for Calvillo. Even Calvillo is not a great wrestler, Calvillo is pretty good in scribbles and pretty good hunting submissions, and I don't think that Chukagin is good enough to control her or good enough to really submit her. And on the feet, like I said, she throws a lot of arms, she moves a lot, but she's not a big hitter. And as much as she moves, she's really not hard to hit, if you really think about it. People hit her a lot. For as much as she moves and fades, she gets hit a lot. So um, I'd probably favor Calvillo in the fight. Um, Chukagin can win. I'm just having a hard time picturing. I can't see her knocking her out. I don't know that she can submit her, and I'm pretty sure she can out-wrestle her for three rounds. But um, if she mixes it up, she has a chance to exploit some of the holes that uh, Calvillo has because Calvillo is still a simplistic, predictable striker. But when she gets in those grappling exchanges, she's tough. She's real tough. And um, I think she's a better athlete, and I think she's more physical than taken. So I'm probably going to go with Calvillo on this fight.
0: How big of a fight is this for um, Calvillo? Because she's pretty much jumped up a weight class and really cemented herself as a potential contender. If she was to defeat to what does that do for her at one twenty-five?
1: Did she jump up or did she fail to make weight? to her other class and they kicked her
0: up? I thought she jumped up because then she, she missed weight. Then she, I think then she missed weight, make weight and then went to another weight class.
1: I thought they moved her up, but maybe she jumped up. Basically, if she wins this fight, she's probably the leader in the clubhouse, but they'd probably... I mean, if she could have an argument to fight Valentina next. I'd assume I th- they'd try I, to... Make I think she fight. goes
0: with... I think she goes with Andrade first.
1: I think... I, I, think I, I think, think Andrade... I think Andraj is going to have to fight another fight. I don't think they're going to get... If I'm Andrade, I want another fight. That fight with, with Kagan didn't prepare me for anything. I, I need to have another, at least one more fight before I fight Valentina. So Valentina's been pretty active, um, and Andrade is still having to adjust to the weight class because uh, Chukagan hit her a couple times, and Chukagin was able to put her in a little bit of trouble. Not a lot, a little bit of trouble. You saw the difference that the weight class made because while she was physically dominant, she didn't ragdoll Chukagan right off the bat like you would expect it. And Chukagan hit her a couple times coming in. And if Chukagan's getting to you, you know what that means against Valentina. Uh, so, true. if I'm her... If I'm her, I want to get another fight camp in, maybe get a couple rounds in and really, really, you know, see if I can make some adjustments, minor or major, make some kind of adjustments that enhance my chance to win. Because right now, her only chance to win is to try to maul Valentina. And um, if you're an all-forward fighter facing a world-class counter-striker, that's a real rough night for you. And we already saw what a person who's not a world-class striker at all, they to her on the feet. So she's got to have a little bit more, uh, a little variation in her game plan. She's gonna, she took that kind of punishment from Rose. Rose isn't big, Rose Rose isn't physical, Rose isn't durable. Uh, Valentina is just as explosive, a much better striker, and she has physicality and durability advantages. So imagine if Andrade fought Rose, but Rose could handle her power and Rose can handle grappling exchanges. How would that fight have ended for Andrade? I'll tell you this, she wouldn't have won the first one.
0: Yeah, I, I think that they go with Andras versus because he's a little bit of a bigger name. But we'll see what happens. They've done um they've done other things in, in, in the past, so you never know what they could really do. Speaking of fights coming up, we have a fight that was announced today with Max Holloway and Calvin Cater fighting at 145 pounds. Uh Schwan, what are your initial thoughts about this pairing here?
1: Um I mean Max is a better fighter, he's better grappler, he's got a better all round skill set he kind of mixes everything together but the fact of the matter is he fights off his striking I just don't know I feel like Max is slowing down and the question is has he slowed down enough where Cater can get him Cater is a good fighter but he's fairly obvious in what he does and I feel there's 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 avenues you can exploit him in because he's so insistent on getting his boxing now, I think a kicking range you can exploit him disrupt his boxing and I think you can kind of break him down a little bit and set up your own boxing with, uh, with the kicks. you just have to have confidence in it. And um, the question is, if, if Max's cardio and his chin is there, and his durability and recuperative abilities are there, it won't be a problem. He'll be able to fight at pace and build on it. But when he fought Volkanovski, he made an adjustment, and Volkanovski had a hard time early. But after that, Max couldn't build on it. Max basically got a lead and tried to sit on the lead. Once Volkanovski made an adjustment, Max didn't make another adjustment for the rest of the fight. He kept doing what he was doing. And whether you think Volkanovski won or not, the fact of the matter is, Max was never as dominant as he was in those first two rounds. Once they got a beat on what he was doing, he didn't have anything else. And that's my concern. You know, against somebody like Cater, who doesn't have a lot of elements, he doesn't have a lot of aspects to his game. You know, it's not like he's going to wrestle you or submit you or throw a bunch of kicks and sidekick you and roundhouse kick you and front kick you. He's not that kind of guy. Can he do some of this stuff? Yeah. Is he going to do it? At a high level, consistently, he hasn't showed it yet. When it comes down to, his, when it, comes down to it, he's going to fall back on his boxing. But um, if Max can't build on a pace, and Max can't engage in heavy firefights and it exchanges, then Max can't win this fight. A lot of what he does is predicated on him being able to build on a pace and, and, and have enough durability that he can build on a pace. He beat Jose Aldo because Jose Aldo hit him with his best shot. He took him, he hit Jose with his best shots, and then drowned him in, in work rate. If he can no longer do that, he's, he's not elite. He's smart enough to beat the lesser athletes and the lesser skilled guys because he can come up with a game plan and he's got, and he's got enough durability where he can set a game plan and punish them and set up traps and encounter things they do. But once you make an adjustment, I don't know that he has the chin necessarily to just overwhelm you with volume and physicality and pace and aggression. And I don't know that he's got the cardio if it's in a fast-paced fight to make the adjustments in, in fight. When he fought Volkanovsky the first time, he didn't make an adjustment. Second fight, he had answers, but in the first fight, he couldn't make an adjustment in fight. Uh, a lot of his skill set has been, just been work harder, work faster. That's the same thing with Cater. But Cater is a little bit fresher than him. So, if Max is taking another step back physically, um, I expect him to lose. But, you
2: know, I don't know that he's declined that much to where a guy like Kader is going to be able to have his way. So let me ask this, because this is something that a lot of people have been talking about. I think that's pretty interesting. Are
0: you surprised that Holloway didn't make the decision to move up to 155 at this time? Is he... Making the right call, sticking around 145, knowing how hard that cut is getting for him. And what was it, what would his chances be if he did decide to move up a weight class? Well,
1: I thought he should have moved up at, I thought he should have moved up before the Poirier fight. Fact of the matter, he's always been a big guy and he's had weight issues before the Ortega fight. I mean he had weight issues when he remember he's gonna fight Khabib, and he had issues making the weight. You had issues making the weight class ten pounds above your weight? What the hell? You know, he's had a lot of short notice attempted fights. They've had it, kept him fighting a lot. He's fought it. He's paid—regardless t- of whether his chin is great or not, he's taken a lot of punishment. Took it against Pettis. Took it in against Aldo. Took it against Ortega. Took a certain amount against uh, Frank Yeager. Took a ton of it against Volkanovski. He's taken a lot of punishment. He's been in a lot of wars, a lot of high-paced fights. There's a price to pay for that because to fight at the pace he is and fight with the physicality he has— you have to train a certain way. You have to mentally prepare yourself and prepare your body for that. So you're not just burning your candles in the cage. You're burning the candle on the way to the cage to prepare yourself. And um, I think that has, a, that has a high cost, especially when you're making a weight class that I don't think he should have been in. I think he should have left it in the second out of fight. At the second out of the fight, he should have left. Or when he fought Poirier, he should have just moved up. There's no point in coming back down. I know he gets to defend the title. I know he's a champion there and it gives you leverage, but it's diminishing returns. And I feel that every time he comes to that weight class, at this point, it, it, it's impacting his ability to fight at pace, to build on a pace. It's impacting his durability. And all those things are, are, are key, are core parts of his fight style. I don't care how technical he is. If he can't, if he can take, if he can't take five, if he takes 5% less punishment, he's not Max Holloway. He's not world class Max Holloway. If his cardio slips 7%, he's no longer world class Max Holloway. That's what separates him. That's separate. If he didn't have the chin he does, he doesn't beat Jose Aldo once, much less twice. If he doesn't have the chin he does in the, in the cardio and pace he has, he's going to beat Brian Ortega. When Brian Ortega lands those one or two, three big shots in a round, they finish him. He, it, his whole game plan is predicated on those things. Those two things he's taken away, he is no longer elite. He's been training in a style that those tools have been the most reliable thing about him. And now those things aren't reliable, probably because of his weight class. And now he, he's, gonna, he's been struggling since. And again, and I still think he could beat a lot of guys at um, lightweight, but at lightweight he'd have to change he'd have to make changes to his style earlier because in lightweight he fought Dustin Poirier and Dustin was lighting him up and countering him and figuring him out. And and Matt and he didn't Max didn't make adjustments. He just kept throwing volume, he kept attacking the body, he kept pushing the pace, hoping that Poirier would give him something, and he could overwhelm him, or Poirier was slow and then he could he could take over. But that never happened. You know, his, his durability and his pace wasn't enough to overcome Poirier's size advantages, Poirier's strength advantages, and Poirier's power advantages. Because Max isn't a power hitter. He's a guy who breaks you down through do attrition. He doesn't just hit one guy once or kick someone in the leg once and they're limp in. That's not the kind of guy he is. He has to generate a lot of work rate to get the results he wants. And at, at that weight class, generating that, work, generating that kind of work rate has a higher has a higher price than at, at featherweight. Featherweight, he can more or less handle the power. At lightweight, there's a lot of guys capable of knocking him out if he doesn't fight a more disciplined and more defensively responsible game. So at, at lightweight, he's a tough fight for anybody because of experience, because of his range of skills, because of his pedigree, and he's still a durable guy. He's still a high. He's still a fairly high work rate guy. But that lack of power and that lack of physicality is. um is definitely a problem for him moving forward. If he fights at a bigger leg class, I think he understands the advantages he has a featherweight and wants to ride him out as long as possible. But now it's starting to be
2: diminishing returns. Hello? Sorry about that. I was on mute. But I would love to see him move up to 155.
0: I think it's something he can do at this time in his career. He has established himself as the best 145 to a lot of people uh, of all time. You know, it really kind of depends on how you feel about that argument. But I don't think he needs to continue to put this, put himself in that streaming position trying to make this cut time and time again. So I do He's think, beat everybody girls, in the division
1: except for yeah. He's What's the point of being there?
0: Exactly. Exactly, and a lot of people think he beat um, Alexander both times. So let's—I don't think he needs to make continue making this cut. Who do you pick to win when they do when they do face off?
1: Mm. I want to say Max, but man, I don't know. I, I've been really feeling really good about him recently. I, I think Cater might pull it out.
0: I'm going. I'm I'm kind of leaning Cater as well too. So let's see how that kind of plays out when we get here um, of fi- I guess not really a fight announcement but we know Leon Edwards and Hazmat Chamayoff are fighting uh, I think on December 16th is the day but Chamayoff this week he opened up as a betting favorite. Schwan, what do you think about that man? Is that the UFC hype machine at work here or is there something that the betters see that no one else is really talking about at this time?
1: Well, part of it is the hype machine. I mean, he's on a win streak. He's been active. He's talking a lot, so people are buying into him. So there's a certain element of that, but there's also the element of, um, of uh, the fact of the matter, that it, and this is a simple fact. Edwards, is, in his current win streak, he's been very dominant. He showed a lot of skills, showed a lot of maturity and poise, right? And you see, and you're like, oh, look at, look at how he's handled this situation. Look at how he's handled these seasoned veterans, and look how he's handled this fighter and that fighter. But if you notice in his recent run, a lot of his fights, he's had a certain physical advantage over. Gunnar Nelson is a good athlete, not really physical. Rafael DeSanyos is a physical guy at 155, at 170. He's not the powerhouse he used to be. Um, Donald Cerrone is a little bit more fragile, and he's never been a physical fighter. Uh, Brian Barberina's a physical guy, but he's more of a striker, and he's not a very great athlete. But you look at these fights, and he, he's basically been kind of using skill, but he's been physically mauling people. He's been able to back them up and have his have his way in exchanges and clinch exchanges and strike exchanges and even in grappling exchanges. Uh, against this guy, this guy is a bigger, more physical, and he kind of works at a high pace. The one time that Edwards really faced a physical, aggressive, grinding-type guy, he lost. Now, it was Kamaru Usman, so that says something. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't faced that style since then. Um, Edwards hasn't fought since, what, July of 2019? So it's been almost a year and a half since he's fought. He hasn't fought in a year and a half. Uh, and um, I can't imagine that he'd be particularly sharp at this point having not fought. Even if you keep training all the time, uh, you're not training for anything. You've been just training and training and training. Who's to say that you haven't developed sparring, sparring, sparring partner tendencies because you haven't been training for anything. It's been, I mean, I'm sure it's been good training, but it hasn't been purposeful training, because you didn't know when a fight was going to come. You, you were turning down fights. He wasn't even really expecting to take this fight. He was kind of forced into taking it. So um, I, I feel that that lack of activity might lead to some rust, and while he's a much better skill fighter, he's a much more accomplished fighter, I don't know how he handles the physicality. I don't know how he handles the pace. I don't know how he handles the size. These things could really cause a problem. Now, could he figure them out and win? Sure. But is it impossible to think that that guy might just grab a hold of him and just physically bully him and just outwork him, and by the time Edwards finds his range and he finds his rhythm, the fights out of hand and it's too late? If somebody told me that happened, would I be totally shocked? No. I wouldn't be shocked at all. It's it's a distinct possibility.
0: You think it's a distinct possibility of what?
1: Uh, That he could be in a really tough fight. And that he could possibly lose. I don't, I don't know how sharp Edwards is. I don't know how how sharp he is. I don't know how his conditioning holds up. He hasn't had to face a big, strong, physical grappler in pretty much years. I mean, the last time he faced one was when he fought Kamar Usman. And that was like four years ago. We don't know how he's going to handle a guy who's trying to get his hands on him and, and get in grappling exchanges. We don't know how he's going to hold up with a guy, takes him down, and puts him on his back. Or physically pushes him against the cage. That is, he had, once again, he has a technique to answer that. He has enough physical tools and techniques to answer that, but he hasn't had to use them in a real-life fight in years. He hasn't had to use them in a real-life fight, and he hasn't fought anybody who's his physical match as far as physical strength. And he hasn't done that in years either. So what happens if he can't bully a guy? What happens if he hits a guy and the guy doesn't back up? What happens when he puts his hand on the guy for a clinch and the guy shrugs him off? What happens when he puts the guy against the fence and the guy turns around and puts him on the fence? I don't know. He's got the experience where he can catch him, and he could just put him away early. Like I said, I don't know if he's, have, if he's going to be that sharp early on. I don't know if he's going to have faith in his cardio early on. I don't know if he's going to have faith in his timing early on. And no matter what he says about this is the best fight and I'm totally ready, how ready can you be for a fight that you didn't want to take? He could have taken this fight months ago.
2: He was forced to take this fight. So I don't know that he's necessarily ready for it. All right.
0: Well, I'm not gonna disagree with you there. So I I think that is some um, some strong opinions about that. I think that Leon Edwards is in for a tough fight, but I hope to God that he pulls it out. I'm not, you know, I'm not one that shies away from rooting for certain fighters, and I root for everybody black. Point, 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 uh, point in area, like period. Like I don't want to see Edwards lose this situation because I don't like the way he was backed into it. I, I, I
1: don't like it either, but the UFC knows what they're doing. When they don't like somebody, you look at certain matchups, and you look up and down his list, he's been fighting a lot of limited strikers, limited grapplers. He hasn't really faced a guy who could wrestle him in years. And the first time the UFC gives him a match, he turned down the matchup with a striker. He could have had Wonderboy. That would have been an easy fight to make. He turned that down. And now they're putting him in with a big, even though the guy is raw, he's a big, physical, aggressive, strong grappler type. They know what they're doing. I don't think, I think they got a little bit irritated with him turning out fights. I think they got irritated with him trying to call shots. And, and part of it is, I think there's a racial issue because they always have this issue with black fighters. But also, part of it is they don't like being talked to. I don't care if it's Connor McGregor. They might tolerate Conor because he makes the money. But they don't really like that shit either. They try to put, put Conor in check too. They, try, they don't like fighters who talk back and try to call their own shots. Leon tried to call his own shot about who he's going to fight, when he's going to fight, and what makes sense to him. And then he got to a position where he didn't have a choice. The agency is doing this on purpose. They think that this guy has a chance of beating them. And I think just if you look at it on paper, and you look at the threats he poses, he actually does. He might get smoked. He might get beaten in a five-round decision or whatever. But he might have something for Leon, and Leon might not be ready for it. He hasn't had this stylistic matchup in literal years. It's been years since he had a guy who could physically match him as far as grinding and physical strength. He's had, he's had advantages. He hasn't had anybody try to actively wrestle him in years. How's he going to respond to that? We don't know. And this is the best time for Chimiov to get him because Leon's not sharp. He's not sharp. I don't care how much you drink. He's not sharp.
0: All right, sir. You're, you're, still, on, you're still on point here. Did you see the news this week about did Formika being released?
1: Uh, yeah. I wasn't shocked by it, but yeah.
0: So something interesting within that piece was that he was notified that 75 people are set to be re- re- be released from the UFC. And what's interesting about that is that 75 people, but we're in the midst. I think what well, it is it, it just ended? But the most recent season of Dana White contender series just ended. So at some point in time, we really need to have a conversation about. The shift in power that, that they're doing here, bringing on these young fighters, cheaper fighters, and letting go of some of the more experienced guys. Like, did you say for me, for Miga, his last fight? I believe he got paid six figures to um, lose to Perez when he lost via leg kicks. Mm-hmm. So, at some point in time, I'm actually planning on doing some research into this. Once I have the opportunity, uh, it was going to take me a little while just because it's so much to look at. But I think it's, we're going to see some interesting numbers when we see the number of fighters that have been released since Dana white Contender Series have come around and what their pay was compared to what the Contender Series fighters are being paid.
1: Um, well, I mean, it's like what every business does. They get to a certain point and that person is making a certain kind of money and, they can, and they're, they're willing to pay somebody else less to do the same position and handle whatever comes with it so that their profit margins line up correctly. The UFC doesn't have um, open gates to lean on. They're making more money in pay-per-view, but they don't have the open gates. You get to figure out all the testing and everything and all the precautions they have to take. It's costing them a lot of money. I'm not saying it costs them, they're not making money, but it's costing them some. What's the cheapest way to do that? You get rid of guys who make a lot of money, who are not draws. Now, as much people can say, you know, oh, it sucks that Formiga got let go. Formiga is such a great fighter. The fact of the matter is, nobody cares about him. Hardcores care, but y'all already buy the y'all already buy the pay-per-view or you stream it, so you don't have to pay for it. Y'all don't buy Formiga T-shirts. Y'all don't you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have uh, Cardi's headline buy go over three hundred thousand. If people wanted Juicy for Formiga to be in the UFC. And speak with your wallets. Get a petition with 200,000 people saying, we want him to stay. Dana might do that because it, it shows a connection of how much money he earns. Right now, you're paying a guy top dollar who isn't the best fighter in your division because he was never been able to get over the hump, hump to challenge for a title. So that's one thing. And two, he doesn't, he doesn't draw fans. So the one thing that um, he's brought there for, which is to contend for a title and be a threat, he's incapable of doing. The second thing he's there for, potentially as a fighter, is to draw fans and draw interest. He doesn't do that either. So they're, they're cutting bait because to have him costs a lot of money, and he does not make you a lot of money, and he's, not, he's clearly not a championship-level fighter. So what's the benefit of having him? I mean, we know he's a great fighter and he provides value, but if he's not winning a lot and he's not drawing, why do we need to keep him? is what the UFC is looking at, where we can bring in guys who, who we can give them a, bu- a big platform on Dana White looking for a fight, or excuse me, uh, the Contender Series, where they beat a, some overmatched person, and everybody buys into them as a potential star and a, and a great fighter, and we can build their own homemade grassroots found ba- fan base that we can help um, nurture and put them in a position, if they can win, to be stars.
0: I mean, you're right. They're doing what's best for their business, and it makes sense. It's just unfortunate to kind of watch it happen and know that the fighters aren't going to take any actual steps to fix it. Oh, they don't care.
1: They don't care. They. It's like the same thing with Jose, same thing with Donald Cerrone, everybody. They care when their money's messed up. Right now, they're like, well, you know, I'm a new young fighter. I got this win, so I deserve to be here. And then once you get enough, you have enough losses, they'll cut you early, and if you make it as long as Juicy a formiga did, then at some point you'll become too expensive too. Just it's a cycle and the UC has the power because these fighters won't stop stabbing each other in the back to uh stabbing each other on the back to get where they to get where they want to go. Nobody's willing to give up a title shot, nobody's willing to give up their payday, nobody's willing to risk their career for the betterment of all fighters. And until someone's willing to walk away, so all the fighters are willing to walk away, they have no leverage. You can see it walk away from all of them to find new fighters. The fighters aren't willing, all the fighters as the group are not willing to walk away from the UFC. That's why the UFC
2: has the advantage and they're always going to have it. Do you think
0: that this would be happening if COVID 19 wasn't a thing?
2: Uh,
1: maybe not, you know, because there would be, there'd be still live gates, you know. I mean, some of the, but then again, they wouldn't have these pay per view numbers because they wouldn't have a reason to make these fights. So it's like, it's kind of hit or miss. But without the live gate, I think he'd still be a risk to be cut because he makes so much money. I mean, if he beats Alex Perez, he's fighting for the title, right? He'd be fighting for the title right now. That justifies his presence being there. He was brought in here to be a, a champion and poten- potentially see if he could get towards stardom. He has lost both times when he was at the, the door to make a title fight. He lost, and he's, he's just not popular. So there's really no reason to keep him. I mean, yeah, he's a good fighter, and yeah, he provides value to division, but he doesn't provide a financial value. And if he's le- losing all his key fights, really think about it, he doesn't bring value as a fighter either.
2: True. True.
0: I, I think uh, COVID-19 really is playing a, a part in this, and it's unfortunate because if this global pandemic wasn't going on, I don't think that they would be so keen on letting so many fighters go so haphazardly.
1: Well, I mean, where else is? I mean, he's making pretty good money. So you could always say, "Well, I'll just go to Bellator." But Tour has mark profit margins and stuff too. They can't just take anybody, especially somebody who doesn't have a fan base. So he might have to go overseas because he's not popular. He's not. He's not going to draw eyes to their division. He's not a, you know, a Benson Henderson or anybody who's had some kind of popular run. He's a really good fighter who's well known in fight circles and not know, not known outside of it. He doesn't have much value outside of being an elite fighter. And I don't know how far being an elite provider takes you nowadays when you're elite, but you can't beat beat the other elite guys when you need to beat them.
2: Yeah, if nothing
0: else, I think he goes over to, um, he could maybe go to one since seeing how China is doing a better job fighting the coronavirus than we are. But um, we'll see how that kind of plays out. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Karen's. Terrence Crawford versus Kel Brook. I know you had a lot of things to say about that, uh, about that boxing match from this past weekend, so the floor is yours, sir.
1: Well, um, the reason that fight was big, not because the fight was, was an exciting matchup. It's because Terrence Crawford, is, um, he's, he's, he's seen as the other great fighter in the welterweight division. It's Errol Spence, it's Terrence Crawford, and everybody wants to see those two fights. So now we're in a situation similar to Manny and Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather for all those years, where each guy fights and we judge their performance as far as the rate who's the better fighter and who would be who. And that's that's what we've gotten because Terrence Crawford fights for top rank, meaning he can't fight any of the guys in Errol Spence fights, who are basically all the best welterweights in the world. The majority of the best ranked welterweights either have fought or do fight for PBC, meaning Terrence Crawford can't get any of them in the ring. So he's forced to fight guys who moved up from the junior... who moved up from the junior welterweight division, or he's forced to fight guys who are faded fighters, who are no longer elite-level boxers or fighters. And, he's, and to use his name to draw interest and to put on devastating performances, they can convince... they could maybe put some pressure on PBC and Errol Spence to take the fight with him. Unfortunately for him, like I said... PBC has got most of the top 10, top 15 ranked welterweights on their side. So Errol Spence isn't going to be pressured to do anything because Errol Spence is fighting basically younger, fresher, more accomplished opponents than Terrence Crawford. So Terrence Crawford took this fight, and he wanted to look spectacular. So it would help his Q rating and maybe start to talk again about that he could beat Errol Spence because Errol Spence fought Kell Brook, and Errol Spence beat him by knockout. But I think Errol Spence took, like, six or seven rounds to beat him. Uh, Terrence Crawford beat Kell Brook in three or four. But this isn't the same Kell Brook. Kell Brook is faded. He hadn't fought in welterweight in years. He essentially had the world-class beaten out of him by, by Gennady Golovkin when he moved up two weight classes to fight Golovkin. And he had it beat, up, beat out of him when he fought Errol Spence. In both fights, he had fractured orbital bones. You know the kind of damage that does to a fighter, MMA or boxing. So he's not the same fighter. He has a name. He had name value. He looked apart. He was in really good shape. And even in the fight, he fought well enough. He, he was putting on a good boxing performance. But his chin is gone, and his ability to recover is gone. And the first time he took a clean shot, the fight was over. So it, it made Terrence Crawford look good because he had this huge knockout. And he started slow, so Brooke looked good for the first three rounds. Looked like he won the first three rounds, most of the first three rounds. And Terrence Crawford came, made an adjustment and had a devastating knockout, which, you know, gets a lot of play and shows that maybe he's a power puncher and he's a dangerous fighter. But the fact of the matter is he was fighting a guy who did not have the chin and did not have the recuperation to, to sustain any sort of punishment, which if you pay close attention to the fight, as a fight fan, or even if you're just a casual fan who pays attention, you know that he, you're, you know he's facing a guy who's physically compromised. So you can, while it's an exciting win and it's a great way to win, you can't read much into it because he's facing an inferior—he's facing an inferior product as far as his opponent. So now we're back to scratch, where Terence Crawford is trying to get Manny Pacquiao in the ring, Errol Spence in the ring, anybody from PBC in the ring, so he can get a name fight that will legitimize his legacy as a a fighter and b as a welterweight. And because he's in a different organization, he can't get it. So the story is less about who Terence Crawford fought, how Terence Crawford beat him, but what it means as far as his career and his ability to draw the big established world championship level fighters from the PVC into fights, And um, it's looking like he's not gonna be able to get the fights he wants unless he changes promotional companies because they have all the cards in, in regards to this. And he doesn't have any of them. I mean, he's kind of a draw, but he's not that kind of a draw and he's a good fighter, but even the best fighter to really become a star, really stand out. They have to have, you have to face someone who's capable of beating him. And Terrence Crawford hasn't faced someone capable of beating him in a long, long time, which takes some of the excitement off his fight, takes some of the attention off his fight, and pretty much puts a asterisk around any win he has because he's facing second-tier fighters or he's facing first-class fighters who athletically and physically are no longer first-class fighters. So, you know, his, uh, his level of opposition has some holes in it now, and it's, it's, it's affecting how... People view him as a fighter, and it's affecting how people view him as a potential threat to Spence because Spence is fighting top 10, top 15 ranked fighters, and
2: Terrence Crawford is fighting guys who who aren't really established at all. So if you had your run of it, what who like who should fans
0: be excited to watch? You know, we don't have Floyd anymore. We don't have Tyson anymore. We don't have Roy. We don't have B Hop. We don't have those names. We don't have the Kushko brothers. We don't have Lennox Lewis. Who should fans be interested in watching right now when it comes around to spending their hard-earned money on some of these well, bouts?
1: Well, Arrow spins for one because he's fighting Danny Garcia, former, you know, uh, 140 champion and champion at 147, who's a top, who's still a top five, top four ranked kind of was weight. That's an exciting fight. That is a fight between two guys who are in their primes and have operated at the world class level. So, those that Aero Spence's fights are exciting because recently he's been fighting highly ranked, highly skilled guys who are young and still feel physically capable of, of being in high level fights. So, you put that along with his style. He's very aggressive, he attacks the body, he's a punishing fighter. He's a guy who you can get excited in because of his style and his physical tools, and also because of the level of opposition he's facing. Um, Tyson Fury is a guy. I mean, even though he's not always facing the best opposition, he's a guy who's got tremendous size and weight and reach. But instead of fighting like a brawler, he's a, he's a slick boxer who uses angles and pivots and feints and basically just outboxes guys. And it, it's kind of amazing to see a guy who's got those physical advantages fighting in the total opposite manner of his, uh, of his style. Uh, there's Inoue. Um, he's a lighter weight fighter. He's undefeated, probably the hardest puncher pound for pound in division. And what's worse, he's a great technician, perfect balance, places his shots well, puts combinations together well, but can take a great shot, and he delivers some of the most monstrous, monstrous, punishing, um, humiliating, and spirit-breaking punches you'll ever see a fighter deliver in real time. He's like a great technician. Uh, He's a great physical specimen. He's a Power puncher who's carried up his power two to three divisions, and he's just a class act who represents the sport perfectly in, in every possible way. Those, those are some of the guys you mentioned. I mean, Tank Davis, he's not fighting the best opposition, but he's still an exciting fighter because of some of his flaws in his power and athleticism. Um, De- Devin Haney hasn't been particularly exciting. Teofimo Lopez is still there. Uh, Shakir Stevenson. There's a lot of guys out there who have the talent and have skill and have shown some physical tools. The thing is, most of them haven't, haven't really struck a nerve with the casual fan base, and that's what, that's what separates them. You know, Manny Pacquiao, he's not the guy he used to be, but he's still probably, if he ran a pay-per-view, he'd still be one of the better sailors, sellers because of his, um, his accomplishments and his extended time in the, career in the ring and his fighting style. Um, so it's starting to turn, but these guys haven't made their imprint in the divisions the way they want to with casual fans, and part of that is because... They're not fighting the best of the best. It's hard to get Terrence Crawford over because he's fighting guys that everybody knows aren't elite. And you don't you get tired of seeing a guy beat up outclassed opposition. It's just not fun at a certain point. Um, so, uh Canelo. Canelo's a big guy. Great fighter. Um, his, his resume is spotless. He just fought everybody, multiple fought world champs in their prime, fought guys who were top three or five ranked in their division. He's moved up multiple weight classes to compete. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that fight, but the question is, are we going to get the fights that we really want? Because right now we're just getting fights that are available, fights that are in the promotion, fights for guys who will take the money that they offer, fights with guys with names who can't fight anymore because everybody's trying to protect their interests, whether it's the promoters or the fighters. And that's starting to turn fans off because all the fighters are talking about is the money they they make or the money that they're refusing to take to make a fight. But um, if you look at it, as far as skill and talent, there's a lot of fighters who you, you, you can get behind. You just, have to, um, you just have to know where to look, and you have to be willing to invest in the fighters so that you get the fight you want. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot of uneven matchups, and you're going to see a lot of bad decisions, and you're going to see a lot of fights that are, that, are just not, that just don't get the attention of the casual fan, much less the hardcore fan. So it, it's really up to us to demand to see the people we want to see and speak with our, our pocketbooks, purses, wallets, whatever you want to call it. But as far as actual talent, there's lots of good fighters out there and there's lots of good fights to be made. The question is, can we as the public force them to make the fights we want to see? Or are we just so supportive of the fighter that we're going to have them facing a guy who's like 24 and 11 and getting paid $3 million to fight a guy who has no chance of beating them? You know it's kind of the fighters have more the fans have more control than they think but they don't want to exert that control because they don't want to hurt their favorite fighter and in protecting their favorite fighter they're hurting the box the sport of boxing in general and one more thing like when we had a devin haney fight gamboa that was a necessary fight you had a guy who lost his last title fight fall into another title fight against a young young champion why would you have that promotions Fighters trying to protect their records. Fighters trying to use somebody for their name. That's what they're doing. It's not the best fight he could make out there, even if he couldn't get a name opponent. He took the best fight available with the name that would to justify the payday that he wants. He didn't take the biggest challenge. He didn't take the best fighter out there. He took the best name, then the best fighter, who would allow him to get the most money from a performance. And that's what a lot of those fighters do. And that's why people say boxing is better, losing steam, because everybody seems more about making money and making an impact on social media than they are about being the best and
2: facing the best challenges available to them. So what are you working on right now, Swan, let everybody know? Uh, I'm,
1: just, I'm just going, you know me, I'm over, going over the same thing. Uh, I did a thing where I get on Twitter now and I kind of, ask people who you know who want questions or want extended conversations about certain topics you know who listen to the show or subscribe to the show and i i let them pick a topic and i'll discuss it to their heart's desire because um, sometimes in the podcast we don't have time to hit on everything they want and sometimes um you know people have want to have extended conversations you know they might think of something two weeks later and just bring it back up to me and i'm always i'm always glad to have that conversation you know i, I just want people to support the show and support your work and support the work we do together. And um, if it means, you know, being a little bit more accessible and I try to be very accessible, but if it means being a little more accessible, I'm, I'm more than willing to be accessible to people
2: who are, who are committed to what we're doing and, and trying to support what we're doing. Yes, definitely the echo Schwann sentiment there. Thank you for all the support we've
0: gotten over the past couple of days. It's been a lot and um, there's a lot to really kind of cover. And we're doing our best covering all of it there. Um, so with that in mind, Swan, we'll be back next week to cover more MMA and boxing action on episode 187. But thank you to everyone who has listened to episode 186 of the MMA Ratings podcast, Swan and myself. Thank you. And thank you for your continued support. Everyone have a great weekend and stay safe during the holidays.
1: You guys have a good weekend. Take care and thank you for the support. We do our best to provide you the best interviews and the best content possible.